I'm, I'm disappointed that you didn't ask me what I was drinking. I actually brought out some cheap wine. Today I have Shane Anderson with me. Shane and I have worked together on a couple projects, and Shane has written for the Tory Gazette on a number of occasions. Um, so Shane, can you describe how you minister to your current church, what your profession in the secular world is, and also start us off with why you would risk calling in and talking to me about transparency? <laughs> well, it's I, I don't know. It's not much of a risk. I mean, we know each other pretty well by this point. I think I, I, the only the only danger is the both of us talking about these things that, that you'll have to really um, set aside some time for editing. So that's my my main worry. Um, no, I'm so glad to for us to talk about this stuff. You know, I was prompted by your um, your excellent post on Tory Gazette. We'll have to link to that, but. Who I am, I um, am a husband and dad. My um, folks became Christians when I was a little child, and so I was thankfully um, brought up in the knowledge of Christ. And um, we've got three, me and my wife have been married um, 18 years almost and have um, three girls, 14, 13, and 10. So we, I'm surrounded by ladies. I also am a registered nurse and work in the emergency setting at a major trauma center and am a ruling elder in um, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church here in Greensboro, North Carolina. So I'm not speaking you know, on behalf of our church, but obviously my whole life is under accountability and authority. So that's who I am. And uh, I'm glad to be talking with you about these things. So l- tell me some of your original thoughts to the post on transparency. Um, I commented in the post that this isn't just a transparency post. It, it's kind of an extension of our culture's obsession with experience. And I definitely know that you probably have some, pardon the pun, you have some experience with dealing <laughs> with obsessions of about experience given your line of work. Um, but let me, let me know what you were thinking about the post. Well, um, you know, the first thing that struck me is that you and I have very, um, similar lives in some way that probably makes this topic pretty interesting to us. You know, I, I really am, you know, I'm very committed to and, um, have been changed by reformed theology and piety, but my roots as a Christian aren't there. My roots as a Christian are in revivalism, evangelicalism, fundamentalism. And so, you know, as an American Christian, really a lot of what we care about in America is just experience. I mean, we're in every situation, we are consumers and, you know, the personal review matters more than almost anything else. And we kind of think of religion in those terms, unfortunately. And, you know, I, I'd love to say, as I read your article, man, I know all about this because I'm an expert on it, but I'm kind of an expert in the wrong way in that um, I think I've done everything you're talking about. I've lived everything you're talking about and experienced both the good and the bad of this kind of obsession with transparency. Um, 
you know, when I read it, I immediately thought of accountability groups. I thought of, you know, confessions from the pulpit that I heard growing up and have seen, you know, I thought about, um, I remember in college, uh, a big revival sort of thing had broken out um, in Texas among Southern Baptists and was spreading to churches. And the way it was spreading was they would have these folks that had been involved in other revivals show up at your church and they would describe what was occurring. And then amazingly, spontaneously, quote unquote, it would occur. And the, the particular revival was, was that people were publicly confessing sins and, um, I remember it was a Sunday night and we were sitting in the sanctuary. I was the minister of youth at the church, or maybe it was the year before I had graduated and I was just, um, a layman in the church at the time, but I was sitting in the congregation and, um, you know, these folks got up and said, well, everyone's confessing their sins. They're just so moved, you know, the spirit's moving them and it's just bringing about this new, um, brokenness before God and this new authenticity. We're not going to be fake Christians anymore. We're going to, you know, really the fire is spreading and, you know, there's lots of, um, reallys and it's awesome and amazing and spontaneous and surprising. And, and it was tied around this public confession of sin, you know, the, the saddest part was as people got up and began to actually do this. And I saw the ramifications spread in families and in the church. Um, it's pretty ugly, actually. And um, things that people ought to have told each other privately and repented of with actual works and restoration and restitution and humility became like a public spectacle. And, you know, that's a pretty extreme version of it. But the more, the more non-extreme version is just as common or just as it's more common. It's, it's just as damaging. And that's, you know, what often occurs in small group settings or, um, you know, even you, as you touch on in your article, leaders from the pulpit, um, and it's like you said, it's almost a worship. It's like a worship of experience. Yeah, and I think it's it's hidden under the guise. You know, it's not a clearly articulated, this person's experience is so valuable and so important that I must be obsessed with it. But it slowly does become an involvement with it that we find ourselves involved in their lives and we find them, we, we think we're involved in their lives and we think that we're involved in what is transparently being given to us. And we really are living off of and feeding off of other people's experiences. And I think that, uh, evangelical Christianity, I say evangelical Christianity so that I don't have to name a specific denomination because I think it affects all denominations um, but evangelical Christianity has really been struck down by this in the last five years. Probably, you know, some someone's calling me a young whippersnapper and saying that it's probably been more like 15 years of mm. um, our obsession with people's transparency has, has led to the downfall of, of many leaders 
who probably shouldn't have been leaders except that we were infatuated with their transparency. Mm-hmm. So, Oh, yeah. I'm with you on that. I mean, it's almost like, you know, a new virtue. You know, the virtue is being messy. The virtue is being broken. The virtue is being flawed. And that's a strange twist on grace. I mean, we could go, we'll discuss this, I think, a little more. But, you know, um, the grace of God in, in a biblical sense is not opposed to holiness. You know, God's um, gracious action toward us in Christ um, doesn't somehow make what is bad good. It still remains bad and ought to be treated as if it's bad. And, you know, for the Christian, confession is not only commanded, it's a way of life. And yet, you know, our way of life isn't doesn't overflow nature overthrow nature and destroy it, but is to be expressed within nature. So when I'm confessing my sins, I'm first to confess them to the God whom I've sinned against. You know, this is why David could say, though he had sinned against many, against you and you only have I sinned. And why God is over and over in the Bible, in terms of our sin, often called the one who sees and who knows these things, you know, that these are the things that he sees in secret. And and so we are to be completely bare and naked before God, not to cover ourselves with fig leaves, but to hear his call to us and come see him, right? So that kind of transparency is utterly necessary in the Christian life. The one who says he has no sin doesn't have the love of God in him, doesn't know God, you know, but if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from unrighteousness. But the same isn't true for every relationship. I'm not to be naked in front of the public. I can be naked with my wife. And I am naked in a deeper way before God. Right? And my kids may see me with my shirt on, but for the sake of the rest of humanity, most people probably shouldn't. You know? Um, I do. And, so, and you, you, I, I don't want to completely derail your thought, but you mentioned honesty or this kind of transparency as a virtue. And I think we're we're sitting on the the cusp of this demonstrating itself and manifesting itself even more powerfully in politics. Uh, we we have currently, as you and I are sitting here, an individual dominating the Republican Party solely because he says whatever comes to his mind, and people are perceiving it as a transparency, as an honesty. Um, that this lack of filter, this so-called just obsession with political incorrectness is mm. like, is, it's a, it's a fruit of the spirit is kind of yeah. how it's being portrayed it's a, it's by a individuals. I mean, it yeah. actually makes even bad things good. I mean, I, 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 I have this terrible habit of eavesdropping at Starbucks and I'm like walking through the line the other day and I hear this guy say, now I don't agree with what he says but I sure appreciate that he speaks his mind. I thought, well, I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, it's ridiculous. So basically the fact that he's saying it makes it good. Well, then we can say anything. I mean, it's, it's nonsensical, but, um, yeah, you're right. It's a worship of, 
expression, you know, maybe we're just seeing modernity just to full fruition, you know, just the worship of expression and the creation of responses in others. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that part of this comes from a desire to just be able to say whatever we want to say without any consequences. And it's, it's just beautiful that it's lined up with it being perceived as a virtue. And, um, and then the saddest part is, Against this stands the word of God that says to us, every idle word we speak, we will give account for before the throne of Jesus Christ. You know, Christ, he, he, his words were measured. His words were given at times to heal and build up, at other times to shut down and correct. You know, but they were measured. He often restrained what he could have said. Um, for the purpose of the service of his father and the good of his people. And, and yet we're, you know, when we buy into this as Christians, this idea of like, you know, I just want to really express myself because God already knows and he's full of grace. Therefore, everyone else should see this. And that's a wonderful thing. We've really bought into something that's utterly different than how Christ lived. He just didn't live that way. He lived with a sense, right, that his, his father's watching everything he does and says, and so it ought to please him. And secondly, that he went about doing good, that what he, what he said was for the good of others. It was done um, for the purpose of building up the church, teaching the truth, and light shining in darkness as a witness to God's holiness and goodness. Destination